We all know about Web 2.0, where content is king, and the upcoming Web 3.0, where the metaverse will rule all. But where does that put us now? How about Web 2.5, where emerging technology promises much, but still demands much of us in the present moment. To talk about Web 2.5 and how top customer experience mistakes can be avoided in the move forward, we have Tim Hamilton, the CEO and founder of Praxent. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth, a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Bankadelic. We want to thank our chief sponsor, the one that put us on the air from the very beginning, the William Mills Agency, and also a big thanks to NMD Plus, our production company based in London. And today on the podcast, boy, we're just going all over the globe. Now let's go to Austin, Texas, where we have Tim Hamilton. Tim is the CEO and founder of Praxent, a fintech UX design and engineering partner to financial companies. Tim built Praxent on the belief 19 years ago that technology has the power to unlock human potential. Over that time, he has worked to build a service-minded team of designers and technologists who have delivered more than 400 digital innovation projects. That's a good number. And here we have the man behind the number, Tim. Welcome to Bankadelic. Thank you so much, Lou, for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast and really excited to connect with you today. Wow, that is fantastic. Always lovely to hear something like that. And we made a lot of mistakes at the beginning here at Bankadelic. We've really... (laughs) worked on our learning curve, but there are within the financial services industry, customer experience mistakes. And I've got to think that drives you crazy when you see banks making these mistakes, especially because you have some answers. Tell us about what you're seeing and how you think financial institutions can avoid them with best practices instead. Oh, 100% loop for sure. You know, sometimes it drives me crazy and sometimes it gets me really excited because You could look at the thing as a challenge or an opportunity, and sometimes it's a bit of both. But I'll say kind of at a high level, we are in a time of a lot of upheaval and transition. The speed of technology just continues to accelerate. We can read about that in great books like Exponential Organizations and looking at like Moore's Law and the rate of proliferation of compute power. 
in periods of change, we find that there's five or six ideas that really help to anchor innovators and product leaders, giving them the tools they need to steer the ship productively. And from my perspective, it really starts with adopting a North Star. A North Star focuses a customer experience improvement initiative on a trend that is the most important to the fintech or the financial institution that's making the investment. It could be the trend towards self-service or the trend toward Web3 and the concept of self-sovereignty and self-custody. Or it could be you know, the continual evolution of the online privacy movement. The idea of adopting a star starts with figuring out, okay, which trends are most relevant to us? And the idea is, as Frances Fry, one of my favorite authors, wrote about in a book called Uncommon Service, she talks about how organizations who do not adopt this North Star and focus their investments accordingly end up trying to be great in all these dimensions for all these different customer groups who are all trying to accomplish different things and being great or attempting to be great in that unfocused way leads to what she famously writes about as exhausted mediocrity. And so to start the conversation, Lou, that's the thing that I most want to implore listeners. It does require courage and analysis, but adopting that North Star is a critical first step from our point of view. There really is no getting around that, right? That North Star, it's so important to have. And behind that, there is the imperative to create transformative services and products. And I just wonder from your view, as we dig a little deeper, what that looks like and what matters there. Oh, I love that. Yes, for sure. The whole concept of system-centered versus human-centered is a really interesting one. When we talk about system-centered, what we're referring to are times when an organization, an FI, puts an account holder or a member through a bunch of additional hurdles in order to satisfy the internal structures of their IT systems and or controls. So for example, if one department requires documentation from another department, that requirement then is sort of put upon the account holder who's got to then maybe repeat themselves, answer a question more than once, provide documentation repeatedly. This is a natural byproduct when this is a well-established, very mature industry that has grown up around generations of technology that impose these uh, cross-departmental and siloed requirements. However, what's exciting to me is you're seeing unprecedented investment towards a complete rebooting of that concept, divorcing ourselves from a system-centered way of doing business and really embracing this human-centered concept, which is we like to talk a lot about tools like the Kano model or the customer journey map, where we get to really envision the customer in their context of use, on their journey, seeking to make this progress. And then we can sort of subjugate the systems to the hero, which is the customer. Along a journey, we can identify the points of delight and frustration, and then we can start to target our investments with the right prioritization tool, whether it's you know a Moscow prioritization technique or a Kano. We can prioritize the features and make sense of the ideas so that that hero, that customer can make progress without having to jump through the hurdles and repeat themselves and go through the headache. It absolutely makes sense. I mean, we're at a lot of crossroads right now, not only with the types of things that you're talking about, the earlier part of the conversation where we're talking about making these decisions to avoid exhausted mediocrity. And it also makes me think about where we are just in terms of the larger milieu, that we're not quite at Web 3.0 yet. We're 
sort of beyond web 2.0 we're in this 2.5 state where emerging technologies crypto is a great example they're being heavily discussed and yet the adoption isn't quite there so i gotta imagine that adds an entirely new wrinkle or a complicating wrinkle to what you're trying to do gosh i'm really excited about this as you might expect if we think about web 3 it's helpful to go back in history a little bit and contemplate what web one was and then what web two was and so the way that we sort of think about it in that greater context within the evolution of the web is that web one was really read only you know you had webmasters as they were called and they had servers that were hard to stand up and you needed a lot of specialized expertise to author content in the form of html and get that content up on a website so that people like you and me could read them on our aol web browser back in the day or netscape then web two was really the age of user generated content it was all about empowering and or gosh it was i might use the word disintermediating the requirements to set up a server with a hosting company and the requirement to purchase a domain and the requirement then to learn html like we were kind of disintermediating all that now bringing to market user generated platform social media there was also another kind of big trend that happened with the evolution of web 2 which was the expectation as users that we don't pay for the product we shouldn't pay for content that should be free that kind of led to this idea that well of course we pay for it but perhaps not with money we're paying for it with our privacy if you don't pay for the product then guess what Lou? you are the product right and so the whole online privacy movement started to emerge and yet this expectation that all these things like an email software application should be free or a calendar application with Google Calendar, it should be free. That of course disrupted the news media as an industry and it's taken a decade for it to respond and kind of find its stride. But the evolution of web three, what I see as going towards if web one was read, web two was write, web three is about ownership, read, write, own. It's all about having self-sovereignty whether that's over our wallet, our currency, even our identity online. And there's a lot of experimentation happening right now. And I'm just going to describe it as experimentation. And I think there's a lot of very exciting, bleeding edge innovation, but we can very easily get ahead of ourselves. The most recent crash is a sobering moment for many of us who've perhaps forgotten just how bleeding edge all this is. But it is indeed very, very exciting and transitory. And so we sort of think of Web 2.0 or Web 2.0 is often written about as this transitory experience as we're going from Web 2, where it's all about writing that user generated content and the concept of free in exchange for my privacy, my data. Web 2, we're finding our way with the privacy component, with the ownership component. And you're seeing properties like Substack, the membership platform, or Patreon. These are nice new experiments. Like Matt Dryhurst wrote, he's a technologist and lecturer, about how these two platforms in particular are starting to reintroduce the concepts of no, I'm not, or DuckDuckGo, the web browser, for users who are actually not okay making that privacy trade-off. And in fact, want to take over more control. And so I think it's going to be a really exciting time. I can't wait to see it evolve. But I think, Lou, we need to give it more time before we start to make really targeted, committed investments in this direction. Your enthusiasm, I gotta tell you, for this stuff is contagious. And again, to your point, I want to emphasize something for the audience here is that 
if we're looking at Web 3.0 with all of its exciting, exciting possibilities, if we were to use the metaphor of a bakery, this is still batter. We can't quite sink our teeth into it just yet. So we really need to be patient. We need to bring this along with the best that we have and bring our best to the table. But at the same time, know that we are in that 2.5 stage, which I love that terminology. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I love the batter analogy. That's fantastic. I also want to say to folks, this is also a great time to get in the game. At this point, I think bankers are tired of hearing the cliche, disrupt or be disrupted. And so please forgive me in advance for sharing that on the podcast here. But I do see a lot of opportunities and I'm seeing some really exciting moves from progressive FIs who are saying, you know, we are going to get in the game and they're doing some targeted fintech investing, but they're doing it really creatively. One of the things that I'm seeing is that instead of launching a fintech from the ground up or launching what Jack Welch used to call it, destroy your business team, instead of starting from the ground up, what these FIs are doing is they're creating a catalog of their systems, their ancillary systems. Maybe there's like 40 of them that are powering the bank. And what you can do is take a look at the date when you signed that contract and look at how long you've been in partnership with that system vendor. And for the system vendors that you've been in partnership with for a long time, you know, I'm talking about like five, seven, 10 years, there may be an opportunity there within a very well-established software category that is now ripe for a fresh and modern approach. And if your gut tells you that that's the case, I bet you that there's probably already a FinTech founder that's got a team and it's got a product and they already are in market but we all know how hard it is for fintech or bank tech to get that first implementation. And so they're hungry for their first case study. And so I'm seeing some really creative and progressive bankers and boards go out and identify these early stage fintechs that actually have a new fresh take on a long-standing, well-established category within their system portfolio. And then they're able to become the first implementation in exchange for some licensing fees, as well as a bit of equity. And all of a sudden, what they're doing is they're taking their software licensing, which has historically been on their P&L, and they're putting that a little bit now on their balance sheet, and they're starting to become a software product asset holder. And I think that's a really interesting strategy. The time is now to do it. There's just a lot of opportunities. And you can find these at Finnovate and FinTech Nexus. These are fantastic conferences. Also, listening to, to podcasts like Bankadelic, like you're going to meet a lot of FinTech founders who are hungry for that kind of partnership. And that's just one creative idea for folks to get in the game without having to start from scratch. You know what I like to say, Tim? Be praxent or be disrupted. <laughs> oh, I like that. I, I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna call my copyright lawyer right now. Hey, what a fantastic conversation. I not only enjoyed it immensely, I wrote down this phrase that you used, avoid exhausted mediocrity and I'm going to put it up on my computer to remind me that when I'm doing my work and putting this podcast out that it's not about trying to be all things to all people all the time doing every single thing but it's about making that best effort where it matters and what a takeaway from today's podcast and there were many takeaways Tim thank you so much for being on Bankadelic thank you so much for having me Lou it was great Tim Hamilton is the CEO and founder of Praxent. He is based in Austin, Texas, still the live music capital of the world. You can look for Tim on LinkedIn.
You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services, which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q U O N. T-I-C-Bank.com. The year is 2051, and in the greatest breakthrough that financial services has seen in more than two millennia, we introduce to you AI, Artificial Ignorance. You can use it in call centers, Your call is very unimportant to us. Please continue to hold. Or on the internet when people are trying to apply to get a credit card. To complete this credit card application, please input the first 15 codes of your DNA sequence. And perhaps most importantly of all, your financial wellness. You look fat. Get to a gym and empty out your wallet. Give it to me. That's right, artificial ignorance coming soon to a bank near you. Assuming it stays open after we introduce it. And now, Bankadelic and His Royal Highness present Three Bullseyes. Number one. What's exciting to me is you're seeing unprecedented investment towards divorcing ourselves from a system-centered way of doing business and really embracing this human-centered concept. Number two. If web one was read, web two was write. Web three is about ownership. Read, write, own. It's all about having self-sovereignty, whether that's over our wallet, our currency, even our identity online. 
Number three. From my perspective, it really starts with adopting a North Star, a trend that is the most important to the fintech or the financial institution that's making the investment. It does require courage and analysis, but adopting that North Star is a critical first step from my point of view. And now, lose views. On today's podcast, Tim Hamilton of Praxent shared with us a concept that has really been a game changer for him. That is to, quote, avoid exhausted mediocrity, end quote. We can think of a lot of corollaries to this in the business world. For example, don't fuss about the gutters when the house is on fire. Stephen Covey's put first things first and so on and so forth. Hamilton brought up a fantastic point. In the world of fintech, and in particular in the world of startups, there is this temptation to do everything exceedingly well. And it doesn't feel good to say that we can't do everything, but that's the fact. The truth is we have to start from where we are. And that may mean that we pick just one thing, one thing that we can excel at. Here's the great news, as was shared on the podcast today, that the customer is at the epicenter of everything. Customer experience matters. Talk to the customer. Talk to the people that you hope to serve and find out where their pain points are. Find out what it is that they wish could be done in a better, more exciting, faster, and satisfying way. And when you're done listening to them, listen again and listen again. That's what we call iteration in the startup space. And it is a point of view that really helps us to expand on the idea of exhausted mediocrity. That is, when we achieve a sort of superiority, we can then go to other areas where we need to improve and build them up gradually, organically, and over time until we achieve the vaunted goal of overarching overall excellence. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks to Banker Hire. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn and at the coffee shop thinking about another iced mocha. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD+, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.